Hello and welcome to another episode of the Project Football Podcast in association with Luke Williamson Art and Football for Brains 21 Quizbook. More on those later on. My guest for this episode is the host of the brilliant, fantastical podcast, Steve Nussbaum, who's a Leighton Orient fan. And over the course of the chat, we'll be discussing uh, the podcast itself, Leighton Orient, and he'll be going through the regular features of uh, Five from Five, Four for You, and a trip you through time, as well as the usual, you know, team information, famous fans, and the uh, a poem at the end relating to Leighton Orient. And we've still got the new music segments, which might have been rebranded slightly, um, but you'll have to wait and see at the end. Time for kickoff. All right, so some information on Leighton Orient then. Uh, they were founded in 1881, uh, currently play at Brisbane Road, uh, also known as the Breyer Group Stadium for sponsorship purposes, with a capacity of just over 9,000. Uh, they're currently managed by Richie Wellens. Um, record goal scorer is uh, Tommy Johnston with 121 uh, in two spells between 1956, 1958. Uh, 1959 to 61. Uh, record appearance holder is Peter Allen with 432 uh, between 1965 and 1978. Uh, record Football League win uh, has been 8-0 on uh, four occasions uh, against Crystal Palace in Division 3 South in November 1955, against Rochdale in Division 4 October 87, against Colchester in Division 4 in October 88, and then against Doncaster in Division 3 in December 1997. Record winning the FA Cup was 8-2 after extra time against FC Droylsden in a second round replay in the 10-11 season. Record winning the League Cup was 9-2 against Chester City in the third round in 1962. Um, Honours-wise... Uh, they've been runners-up in the second tier, or Division 2, as it would have been back when they did it in 1962. Uh, League 1, or Division 3, champions in 1956 and 1970. Uh, they got the third-place promotion spot in League 2 in 2006 and also won the playoffs in that level in 1989. Uh, they won the National League in 2019. And in that same year, they were also runners-up in the FA Trophy. Uh, record transfer fee paid out, uh, according to the research I've managed to do, is £210,000 for Liam Kelly from Oldham Athletic. And that was in 2016. Uh, record fee received. Uh, they've been given a million pounds twice. There was the transfer of Gabriel Zakwani to Fulham in 2006 and also Moses Adebayo to Brentford in 2014. Uh, players that have played for both Leighton Orient and my team, West Bromwich Albion, um, can't not mention this name first, and it is the late, great Laurie Cunningham. Um, to back that up, we've got Joe Mayo, Adam Chambers, uh, a man who was... Pivotal in our 2005 Great Escape, Kevin Campbell, Tony Grealish, and Kwame Ampadu. 
five famous fans. We've got composer, uh, I think it's Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber. Uh, then there's Julian Lloyd Webber, who is the younger brother of the aforementioned composer. Uh, comedian and presenter Bob Mills. Uh, composer Colin Matthews. And actor Daniel Mays. After all that, I suppose it's best to uh, hand over to myself and Stephen in conversation. So, my guest for this episode is the host of the brilliant, fantastical podcast, Late Orient Fan, Steve Nussbaum. Steve, welcome to the show. How are you doing? I'm very well, Mark. Thank you for having me on uh, this wonderful podcast. I've been looking uh, forward to this over the last couple of days and uh, debating inside my head which 11 Orient players are going to make the lineup and which unlucky ones are going to have to miss out. But before we start, yeah, loving the podcast, great work, and uh, it's been a pleasure to listen to and be invited on to. No, thank you. No, I'm glad you were glad you agreed to come on. So you obviously know what you're in store for. So yeah, that, that's half the battle, I think. <laughs> uh, so as I mentioned in that little intro, uh, you host your own podcast called Fantastival, uh, one that I'm familiar with. But for those who may be picking this up for the first time, who might fancy to listen to something different. Do you want to just give us a brief as to what it is, how the idea came about for it? Yeah, certainly. So I've been doing uh, my own football podcast on a League uh, Two team, although it was League One when we started, called the Orient Outlook Podcast, which was a weekly podcast all about a late night football club. And then COVID happened, hence no football happened. And the outlook kind of took a hiatus. So, you know, at the time I was on furlough from work and I kind of wanted to be creative, but didn't know how to um, go about it. And it was actually the uh, Tim Burgess listening parties I was listening to one night and I was doing, I think it was the Oasis one. Uh, and I had such a good time kind of listening back to that album and seeing people tweet about their memories of that album. And I thought that's a great idea, actually, how he's bringing music and a community together. And so I thought, how can I do something similar? And then the idea popped into my head. Well, you do a football podcast. You know how to interview people from being lucky enough to speak to members of the Orient fans and the club and the community. So that kind of set the idea in my head about doing some kind of music podcast. And then I thought, well, I don't want to just be talking to people about, oh, what music do you like? I need to have like a spin on it. And came up with the idea of um, the Fantastical, which started off as an idea where I get my guests to come on and talk initially just about them and then create like their fantasy festival. So the rules were uh, you had to pick five acts. So you had to have an opening act, a super seconds act, a midway madness act, a pre-headline act and a headline act. So five acts um, in five time slots. And one of them had to play one of their albums in full. There were no rules about having bands in their current form. So it could be any band from any era, whether they're alive or dead or an act, should I say, it doesn't have to be a band. And um, to close your fantasy festival, all of your five acts will take the stage at 11 o'clock when your festival uh, ends to sing one song, which can be any song so not linked to those five or it can be, but they can pick any song um, to end your fantasy festival. Uh, and that was it, really. So I kind of hit that up and spoke to Paul, who is the guy I do the fan, to the Orient Outlook podcast with, and said, look, I've got this idea. I'm not sure about it. Can you be like my guinea pig for episode one? Uh, 
and he agreed to it and I was quite lucky because I was really nervous about it but I'm quite used to speaking uh, with Paul quite a lot so it's quite it's quite a natural conversation and that one lasted for 32 minutes and was really enjoyable and I found out quite a lot about Paul that I didn't know and considering he's one of my best friends it was quite a, an engaging and nice experience especially again during Covid where you're not speaking to many people you're not seeing anyone so we've done that one and then more friends heard it and I'm quite lucky that all my friends or a lot of my good friend base uh, are all into music and quite different types of music so I think for the first like 20 or 30 episodes it's basically me talking to my mates about who they would have as a fantasy festival and I guess like anything the more that people hear it and they message you going mate that's a great podcast a really good idea I'd love to do it so you get more friends on it so more friends hear it and then it kind of starts getting out there a bit and then from from that I started getting a few artists who I knew so I was quite lucky that I knew a guy called Rob Allen who was in a band called Augustine's or we are Augustine's originally so I knew him anyway so he came on it I had a contact who knew Martin Stevenson so I had him on it and then from there really it kind of got bigger and bigger and then I went for a crazy like couple of weeks to speak into like some of my like childhood idols so like Pete from Casts and I used to love Cast massively Damon from Ocean Colour Scene, Keith from like The Farm, um, a guy called Brandon from like one of my favourite ever bands called Flickerstick, who are like in America, a guy called Jason from Jason and the Scorchers, and it kind of went a bit, a bit mental. And then, like I said, every episode leads on to somewhere different, and there's always someone who listens to it, and then you get a message going, really enjoyed the podcast, if you ever need a guest, like, I'd love to come on it. And so at the moment, I'm on episode 95 is the next one. And, you know, from being just friends, it's now established acts, a lot of new acts, a lot of the Twitter community, a lot of DJs, I've had writers on, uh, other podcasters on. So it's turned into a real kind of like labour of love. It's hard work, but um, I love it. And I've discovered so many, well, not not even new acts, just so many acts in general who like I bypassed at the time and who this podcast has gotten me back into. Uh, but also like loads of new acts. Like, I know your previous guest, you've had Project, Shed Project on there. So I've had Roy on, Sam Lambeth, who's a Wolverhampton fan, but a great artist in his own right. And like other like newer bands like Sylvie, Arcade States. I've recently had Jay Tennant on. He's like from the Midlands. So it's been a wealth of um, people on there. And I love it because you never know what's going to happen next or where it's going to go. I, I had a guy called Glenn Wilkie on who I knew from Orient, an ex-Orient player. And like he just, before we started recording, he went, oh, I must remember to talk about Iron Maiden. And I went, what do you mean, uh, Iron Maiden? And he's like, oh, he's like, I thought that's why I'm on here. I said, what, what do you mean, why am I on here? I was like, you're on here because I know you. You asked to come on. He's like, oh, I, I play football with Iron Maiden. I'm in the Iron Maiden football team. We went, I've done the European tour and I've performed on stage with him. I was like, you what? <laughs> like, and it's all like, there's so many different like scenarios where that's where that's happened. You know, I've had people after we've recorded going, oh, I should have spoken about that time where I met um, so many different names. The one I met Alice Cooper. I'm like, what do you mean? Like you didn't mention meeting Alice Cooper in the podcast. So you never quite know what acts are going to get picked and you never know which way it's going to go. So it's a lovely experience to have. And I, I guess like the same on this podcast, once you have that experience, uh, hour or just over an hour with someone like emotionally I feel bound to them because you learn so much more than just about their music taste about like their principles and you know their emotional attachments to their family or 
or their parents or their friendship group. So it's a really, um, it's become a very special uh, podcast in in my heart. And I don't know what I'd do um, without it, really. I was going to say, yeah, you're closing in on a, on a century of episodes soon, aren't you? So that just shows that there's a, a following for it. That it's obviously keeping it ticking over as well, which is you know a, a testament to yourself and and the guests that you've had on. Yeah, it's it's been um it's been great fun, and you know making like Spotify charts and iTunes charts, and literally I've got a message from Paula who she was my guest on a number eighty seven, and we randomly charted in Mauritius, like her <laughs> randomly charted in Mauritius, and we'll we'll she's sending me like some smiley emoticons, like we don't know how that's happened, so. Yeah, it's been a great, um, a great experience. It was a nice. It started off as a nice distraction from the Orient Outlook podcast, which is still kind of where my love of podcasting um, lies. And I've had some amazing experiences through that podcast. But it's also like a nice kind of solo project to to do on the meantime. So I guess yeah. it's like my um, my solo uh, album to my Beatles band or whatever. whatever <laughs> <I'm gonna say. laughs> Are there any? Any guests that you can sort of reveal that you've got coming up, or have you you know, playing your cards close to your chest? Um, do you know what? Coming up to hundred, I was really, really after a big guest, but I kind of um, sat back on that idea because I think hundred is really special to me, and I, I need, I want someone who is going to value being a hundred. I've got ninety nine, so ninety nine is in the bag, and that's someone very close to my heart, and I, I think a hundred is going to be someone close to my heart won't won't do any more than a standard episode i don't think it won't get me any new followers or new audience but i think it's um it's going to be someone quite special to me to do but i've got um the next couple of guests lined up and it's everyone again from djs musical acts friends you know and occasionally you do get the odd kind of gold at the end of the rainbow but you you know i mean I, i appreciate talking to anyone and anyone who's willing to give up like some of their time to talk about their life in music essentially and share some really personal stories as anyone who I treasure. So it doesn't matter if someone's got half a million followers or only 500 followers or five followers. So have that interaction and that moment with someone still quite a, uh, quite a special um, thing to happen. But then also, I don't know if you've seen it. There's a very similar podcast that started up about six months ago with quite a famous DJ, which is basically exactly the same idea, which I think is hindering my ability maybe to get some of the bigger acts on it because when I pitch it, it sounds like I've ripped off a very famous podcast. Right. Lineup, um, which is Sean Keaveney. I think it's, I think that's how you say it. Is he Radio X? He's, he, no. Uh, uh, let's just say it's a bit too coincidental, his format. To right. Be an accident. And I think there's been enough crossover that at some point the fan festival maybe appeared on his timeline. I don't know if you listen. To, if you look at it, he's only quite early into his into his journey with it. But so you've been doing this for quite a while, haven't you? So surely yours would sort of. Yeah, but then I don't. You know, it's um having that backing of a major yeah. radio station who push it and promote it. Where you know, I guess like yours, this is like a self. Yeah, like, like you, one man operation. Absolutely. Yep. <laughs> Absolutely. So yeah, mate, we'll see. You know, I've got I've made some great contacts. Um, Paul Hemmings from the Lars and Pete Wilkinson have been great in providing some guests from um, from the uh, Merseyside. And I've been lucky enough to have some amazing stories about the Lars uh, on the podcast. And from having uh, Ian Salmon in episode 40, that's how I got a guy called Simon from Hightown Pirates. That's how I got Perry Manning. Perry Manning led to Arcade State. Arcade State led to Distant Images, Sylvie, 
uh, and a whole heap of other people. So it, it it's almost like this tree builds up around and you're leaping from branch to branch. Yeah. Sometimes you're going one way, sometimes you're going to the other. I mean, I did in episode eight, to come back to the football element, I had uh, Ross Embleton, who at the time was late tonight manager. And I thought it'd be interesting to hear someone who you're so used to speaking about football, talk about music and show a different side of him. And I was really happy to do that. Um, but it didn't get any more listens than a standard episode with me and my mates, like the football audience or the Orient audience at that time didn't really care who was going to be Ross Embleton. Like they didn't care what his musical tastes were. Yeah. But even that was like a great experience because he ended up talking about his granddad and like his memories of his granddad. And that was like another really, um, really special one at the time. And I've had like the Orient um, chief scout on there who's a DJ in his spare time. So there's, um, there's, there's lots of different crossover, not just like in the music world, but in the football in the football world as well. So yeah, as it stands, no plans to kind of stop it, but I guess we'll see, I guess we'll see where it goes. Which like can only go from strength to strength and, and so far so good. Yeah, it's been harder. It's been harder than what I thought it, it would have been in the terms of attracting Twitter followers because the outlook's not been easy, but there's one hashtag for Orient. And if you hashtag that, which is hashtag LOSC, because there's only one LOSC football club, it's not like, Liverpool, where it's LOFC or Arsenal, AFC, it's yeah. everything hashtag LOFC is Orient. So you can pinpoint people, but with a music podcast, maybe like a football podcast as well, you can't just hashtag music because it doesn't doesn't work. And you, can't no, you need to sort of narrow it down a bit. Yeah, or have like about a thousand different hashtags going on, which <laughs> is quite difficult. So it's been, it's been, from that element, it's been a very difficult thing to try and, get followers in terms of the outlook's got almost 5,000 and it, it builds naturally even on the fantastical even with like followers which I'm only over 600 on over two years which isn't bad and all those 600 they're all real people there's no bots on there it's all people who engage on the podcast but if, for everyone who joins like you're like oh awesome that's another person but it's a it's more of a slow build-up yeah. um, but that's again I think that's also to do with how many podcasts are out there now? So many, there's so many podcasts. It seems like everyone, anyone's got is doing a podcast now. Yeah, well, that, that's part of the reason why I'm doing this. But yeah, <laughs> hey, I've, I've stuck at it, and you know, like with yours, we've just cracked on with it. You know, there's tons of other ones out there that cover music, tons that cover football, but so be it. People listen to them. People want to listen to this one. Great. If they don't, that's fine. I'll live with that. You know, but um. You say about the lot like, the the new music scene, and that's been quite frankly booming over the last couple of years, hasn't it? With the uh, the likes of the Brits and Pieces compilations, and uh, what was the another one? There's the Macmillan sessions, I think, yeah, as well. Yeah, that... so sessions. Uh, there's a massive um, gig going on on Saturday, the 18th of June. So I'm absolutely gutted to not be making that. I mean, I, I guess maybe a bit like you. Until I started the Fantastical one. I liked what I liked and I knew what I knew and I wasn't even aware that there was this whole music scene and community happening. But there's, there's been some amazing, well, there's not been, there are some amazing, there are many amazing unsigned acts out there who are gigging and releasing their stuff on Spotify. And again, they're working their, their butts off. And again, I've been lucky enough to have quite a few on the, um, on the podcast, but there's so many out there and there's something out there from everyone. I mean, I was lucky enough to hear the new arcade state single uh, to preview it, which is mm. out there. 
that that song should be on absolute radio or should be on radio one or you know any any commercial radio station that song if you played that in between a lewis capaldi song or a 1975 song i went right one of these three acts isn't signed one is send that to america i'm going right which act isn't signed here i think most people would have problems picking one song out of that because for me they're on par with some of those other acts and sylvie you know jody's voice is a much better than some of the stuff you hear on the radio and that's not me picking up my mates that's me being honest like she's out there live singing and that's natural she's not in a studio spending 10 grand or 20 grand to make her sound better with like a producer that's that's talent and distant images like another another band north of the border who you know there's two of them and they're making the most amazing sounds and landscapes and they're just working their, their butts off and then you know the, the talent is clearly out there but i think it's a different um the music environment and the scene is so different to what it was when i was growing up it used to be you know release a single release an album go and tour now it's it all seems to be slightly different like some of the acts i've spoken to aren't interested in making an album out at the moment it's more release a single plug it do a gig around it get back in the studio release another single and it's not on a physical platform it's on a digital platform so there's less money to produce anything so it's a very different world that i'm that i was used to when i was um back in a band when i in my teenage years where all we wanted to do is get signed and make a record i think if i was in a band these days it'd be a very different journey that i was going on but yeah there's so much there's so much great new music out there and being part of the fantastical podcast you see it in front of your eyes but yeah arcade state are probably and sam actually sam both sam and arcade state were both my top two uh, picks of my um, unwrapped Spotify okay. last year, and I wasn't expecting that whatsoever. But that—that's the beauty of it. Where someone messages you and goes, "I really like the Fantastical podcast. I'm an unsigned act. Love to come on." And you check them out, going, "I hope they're good," because I don't want to interview someone who I don't rate. Yeah. But mate, but everyone who I've listened to, I've gone, "Bloody hell! How is this person not signed and not got more?" Another one is Megan Wynn. You listen to like her first single, like, uh, uh, like Polaroid. Polaroid. Yeah. That, that is like again you could put that on the radio in between you know uh, two female solo acts between the france track and a amy mcdonald maybe yeah someone like that and you go right pick the unsigned art you'd never know like you no. would not know based on like the, the quality of what is coming through so they're out there they just got to be found but i think also they've got to be supported which is where um it's different nowadays you know there's a lot on social media following and pre-streams and and making money from gigs and getting yourself out there. So it's a really exciting time for music, but people got to find it because it, it's, it's out there. Uh, and it's booming. And like Roy said on, I think, the Fantastical, or maybe on this podcast, is that, you know, he reckons and there's going to be a big boom in like the next couple of years. And hopefully there will be because there's too much quality, hopefully under the surface, to stay under the surface when, you know, you listen to the radio and it's like the same 10 or 15 tracks that you always hear. And you're like, come on. Like there's got a bit, there's more out there. Just go and find it. It's, it's not difficult. Yeah, it's like I mean, as much of an Oasis fan as I am, yeah, you, know, you put absolute on. It's like well, there's only so many times you want to be a roll with it. You know? <laughs> <laughs> Another one for me, and I, I might uh, annoy a few people here. Like I've got no interest in Liam Gallagher doing it. His solo stuff does not stand up to anything he ever done in Oasis, and there's a reason why when you go to Nebworth, seventy five percent is Oasis because no one wants to hear the twenty five percent that he's doing of his solo stuff. And people might go, that's a bit harsh, but three solo albums, I think he's got Once, which stands up, to be fair. Um, 
ball of glass, which wouldn't have made an Isis B-side, but makes a Liam solo act heavy. Other than that, I don't want to hear Liam sing anything, and I think that's reflected in his set list. So, you know, I love Oasis. I was at Nebworth in 96, but I've got absolutely no interest in Liam. And it's like, he'll go and release an album, sell an absolute shed load, take up a whole batch of vinyl pressing, which means other acts like Jay Tennant has to wait six months to get his vinyl made. Yeah. Or, so when you look at it like that, you're like, it's always going to be dominated by bigger acts like that. So it's, it's a shame uh, in that regard. And I don't mean to offend any Liam Gallagher fans out there. Obviously, that's just my opinion and not the opinion of the podcast. More. So it's almost like Sunday League football, isn't it? It's a case of who you know, not what you can do. Absolutely, yeah. million percent. Yeah. Well, we'll move on then to the, the football side of things. So you're a Leighton Orient fan. Um, how did that come about? What's your sort of background into, uh, into supporting them? Do you know what? It's a bit of a strange one, really, because um, most of my family are Tottenham. So all my dad's side are Tottenham. My dad's Chelsea. Uh, so my dad rebelled against his family and went off to be a Chelsea fan, uh, as you do. So it's split between Chelsea and Tottenham royalties. My first game... Uh, I went to was actually Tottenham Chelsea at White Hart Lane in 19, I think it was 87. Uh, and I was up like in like the upper tier and Tottenham won the game 1 0. Nico Klaassen's got a very late goal. So I've, I've always remembered that player, Nico Klaassen. Um, but then I didn't go to Tottenham every week. And basically, I got taken by my cousins who were into Orient because basically we lived, uh, or I lived in Gantz Hill. And down the central line, you've got Redbridge, Wanstead, Leytonstone and Leighton. So it was four stops. I had older cousins who weren't responsible, but had enough uh, about them to be able to take their little cousin to a football game. And I always remember my first Orient game. It was like a Tuesday night. It must have been like 89, I think. It was a rubbish one all game. But still to this day, I saw one of the best goals I've ever seen. It was like Ian Jurieff, who was like an Orient forward, on the, on the volley, on the turn. And I... That, lives, that will live with me forever. And I was stood in the East Stand. Uh, and I think from the moment that ball hit the back of the net, I think that was it. And then my cousins got into it more. I got into it more. And then in the 92-93 season, that was the first real season where I went to pretty much every home game with Paul, who lived around the corner from me. So with me, I'd knock for him at like one. Uh, we'd be in the ground by like quarter to two, always really early for some reason. Um, and we used to stand by the White Wall, which was like a famous wall at Orient, which is long gone now. Um, and then when Barry Hearn took over the club, um, I think it was the 95-96 season, he introduced under 16 season tickets for £10 for a season. And then that really was the winner because all my schoolmates who used to come sometimes or sporadically now all had season tickets and it turned into more of like a social event and a social gathering. Um, yeah, and so since then, I was really kind of engaged with Orient. But then as you do, you kind of get a job. Life becomes a bit more responsibility. So I worked, I, well, I, work, I still worked for H&V, but I worked in retail, in the shops for like, from 1998 to 2011. So all my Saturdays were like, spent mostly in the shops and especially when you get a bit more responsibility and you become a store manager like you don't take Saturdays off so I missed a huge chunk and some matches that I shouldn't have missed looking back now um, but I had other responsibilities and then I went into H&V head office got my Saturdays back 
and at the time, Paul was going quite a lot, but hadn't had a season ticket. And he was like, look, you don't work Saturdays anymore. I'm going to get back into it more. Do you want to get a season ticket? He's like, yeah, totally. Uh, that was 2013-14. And in that season, uh, my first season, properly going back every week um, was the playoff season, which was an absolutely amazing season of football where had that been any other season, Orient would have won that league. However, it being late in Orient, that season, they were also in League One with quite a small team called Wolverhampton Wanderers in the only season I think they've been in League One uh, over the last 50 years. And also another small team called Brentford. So that season, <laughs> all three teams broke their points record. They all smashed it. Wolves, I think, finished on like a mid-90s. Brentford finished on a high 80s or a low 90s. I think Orient finished on 86 or 87 points finishing third and there was only two automatic spaces so playoffs beckons <laughs> I'll talk about the playoffs in a little bit um, but the playoff beckons got to the final got to Wembley were 2 up at half time at Wembley couldn't believe it promotion of like a certainty upstepped Alex Revel ex-Orient player for Rotherham scores attacking 60 minutes gone and then you may or may not see this goal around the 65th minute scores the best goal we'll ever score about 40 yards on the half volley makes it two all we batter him an extra time don't score goes to penalties I'm sure they I, do you know what I've literally like got that memory like PTSD out of my head <laughs> I, I'm sure they missed their first penalty and we scored ours anyway long story short Matt Baldry centre back with our full penalty stepped up took his missed that meant it was four it was three all on penalties they scored there and Chris Dagnall stepped up to take his penalty he's got saved and that was it it was done and then that's where the Outlook podcast started which showed me another world of football a whole different world of the way it all works and and the way you need to stand back and and not react in, instantly to what's going on in front of you um but from that season, Barry Hearn sold the club to, uh, we don't say his name on the podcast, so I do, so I'm not going to say his name and uh, slander your podcast. But it, he sold it to someone else. Sold it to someone else. And then it just went massively, massively down the hill quicker than what anyone could ever possibly uh, imagine. But in answer to your first story, that's how I got into sport and late in Orient. <laughs> so, took the scenic route on that <laughs> slot. Just a bit. So that's my uh, that's my podcast to speak. Uh, yes, um, uh, you say like you had Wolves and Brentford in League One, but obviously now they're top flight. Your League Two, so it just shows how from there how how different paths can lead to to where you are at the moment, can't it? I mean, yeah, fine margins. I mean, we went to Brentford uh, in that season, one of the first games of the season, and beat them 2-0, quite convincingly uh, as well. And went to Mononoke just after Christmas and got a one-all draw. But over the course of that season, they were just too strong. Like, yeah. They got reinforcements in and we just couldn't. We we had an 11. And I think we're saying this before we started. We had an 11. Had that 11 all stayed fit, we would have probably maybe nicked second, but... That's not how football works due to suspensions, injuries, ages of some of the players. We had like a few like 30 plus. I just can't do two games in a week as the season goes on. And, you know, we dropped some 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 points ultimately you look back on and say we shouldn't have lost. But that's just how it goes. And, you know, Wolverhampton have gone from strength to strength. It's great to see a club like Brentford go to teams like Chelsea 
and win like four or two and go to Arsenal or have Arsenal at home and turn them over because it shows that you know the romanticism of football yeah. exists. It's, it's still there. And I've got like a, a workmate um, in the office and he's a Brentford supporter. And every week he comes in and he's, he can't believe it. Like four years ago, I was talking to him about League, league One football and now Brentford are like, you know, mid-comfortable Premier League team. Comfortable. So just shows you how quickly it, it can change and turn around for you. Yeah, I would say, uh, I think when I spoke to Sam Lambeth on, on here, he said, I think that League One season was probably one of his favourite seasons because you were going to grounds you wouldn't normally go to, you know, seeing players you wouldn't normally see. But they were just battering teams. But I don't want to talk about the Wolves. That's that's for Wolves fans to do, you know not, not that, for me. That's the difference between Wolverhampton and Orient because we had that experience, but we had it in the National League, whereas right. Wolverhampton had that in League One. That was like their jolly outing. We, we had the same in the National League, but I wouldn't call that a jolly outing. I'd call that a... Uh, I don't know what I'd call that, but uh, <laughs> got a guess there. Dog just invading the uh, invading the <laughs> shop, but so yeah. Um, okay, so we'll move on to the the different segments now. If that's all right with you. Yeah, perfect. I'm excited. Yeah. All right, so just a, a brief break from the main chat, uh, just to tell you about Luke Williamson Art and the Football for Brains Twenty One Quiz Book. Uh, Luke Williamson Art is a family-run business producing digital art prints of iconic and famous football grounds from yesteryear, running since 2017. And there's details on how you can save a little bit of money on artwork to come later on in the show. And if you're looking for a football quiz book with over 700 questions, as well as chapters on football in lockdown and the diary of a memorabilia collector, look no further than Football for Brains 21 by Stephen End. A donation from the sale of each book goes to the Scores Project, which is a study looking into the link between dementia and footballers and football head injuries. Okay, now back to the show. At least she didn't bark. No, she's very, very, uh, very good for a podcast. Very, very many, stealth mode. This is podcast where dogs in the background bark. Yeah, and um, I interviewed the guy who hosts the Oasis podcast. Who uh, he's had a mass, he's massively helped me with how I've put this one together. And she was in another room. She barked. She was just like, "Bloody hell, that was loud!" <laughs> so uh, the pitfalls of recording from home, isn't it? Hey, absolutely, so, absolutely. <laughs> right. So the first one we're going to do is. Uh, Five from five, and it is. If I just get the list up, right? So, if you've you, you've listened to previous ones, so you know what the format is. But for yeah. anyone who hasn't heard this before, uh, I've got five blocks of ten questions, and Steve will pick a number between one and ten from each block. Uh, it could be the same one in each one. It could be five different ones. That's entirely up to him, and it, it's a random question. So. Uh, block one, what do you want to go with? Uh, go for number two, please. Okay. Uh, this is one I've definitely asked before. Uh, what's the best or what's your favourite chant that you've heard? It doesn't have to be an Orient one. could be from an uh, you know, opponent's, but... Do you know yeah. what? It's, um, there's always one that rings with me at Orient, and I don't know why. It was uh, We had a lone player in that in that playoff season called Eldin Yakupovic. Uh, Easy for you to say. He was a, <laughs> he was a keeper on loan from Hull. And you might know this feeling. Sometimes you get a player on loan and you think, why are you here? You're, 
you're much better than everyone else. Like as soon as he joined, you're like, this keeper isn't isn't League One. He's like Premier League. Uh, anyway, as you probably can tell by the name, Yeldon Yakupovic, he wasn't from uh, East London. No, he was from Bosnia. <laughs> and every time he had the ball, people would stand up and just sing Bosnia's number one. <laughs> and for some reason, that's always I, that always and still does. Like it brings a smile to my face. I think the good thing about supporting Orient is that it's not like a city or United. Like that. when you sing an Orient song, like it has to be around Orient. One I one I like, uh, which always like makes the hairs on the back of my neck stand up is obviously Justin Edinburgh was um, the Orient manager and he uh, passed away three years ago. So there's a song that Orient fans sing to the tune of Mrs. Robinson, uh, which is here's to you, Justin Edinburgh. Orient loves you more than you will know. Well, and it goes round and round. And that even talk about it now, I still get like the tune. Yeah. Um, so that that's one that I always like singing. And I, I always like singing uh, stand up for the Orient, which is literally stand up for the Orient. And it just goes round and round. And it annoys the hell of the guy behind me because he never stands up. <laughs> what's going on. So He's I just there looking at your off. back and it's like, yeah. Well. He always goes, sit down. So that always adds like another two or three seconds to the uh, yeah. process on it. Yeah. So you've got to do another couple of rounds for every time you say sit down, don't you? Yeah. Absolutely. Why not? Uh, right. What's your second pick then, Steve? Uh, let's go number five then. Number five. Okay. Uh, one that's quite appropriate to what's happening in Qatar at the end of the year. Uh, what's your favourite World Cup moment? Um, possibly not my favourite. Well, yeah, I, well, yeah that's, that's my favourite. So, um, well, favourite or most memorable, yeah, either or. I would say probably, it, well, Italia 90. And I remember watching this live uh, as it happened, where England were playing Belgium, nil-nil that free kick gets floated in and David Platt hits it on the turn, lovely body. I, rem- I can remember that downstairs uh, in my living room, 164 Gansel Crescent. And my mum was watching it and we had, she must have had friends around because it wasn't just like me and my sisters and my mum, there were like other grown adults there. And I just remember it going ballistic when that went in. And even though we didn't win it uh, in 1990, I think that's probably the most faith I have in... Uh, an England team or I had in an England team so I've yeah. quite um, disengaged with like England over the last couple of years although I will add second to that thinking about it now was probably 98 with Michael Owen where he just scored that goal where he just basically runs for the Argentinian defence like they're not even there yeah just carved through like a knife through butter wasn't it and it's just but ultimately meant nothing yeah it meant nothing but I was only 18 when he scored that and he was Michael Owen was younger than me when he scored that I'm sure he was. I'm sure he was 17 and I was 18. I remember going, how is it? he's only 17 and he's going to get the World Cup and I'm like about to take my A-levels and he's... Yeah. <laughs> You're there struggling, you know, struggling to get into pubs with a fake ID sort of thing. Yeah, yeah. Not that I'm suggesting you did, but, you know, you do things as a teenager, don't you? Yeah, you certainly do. Yeah, probably one of... Yeah, those two are probably my favourite um, World Cup moments. But hopefully, you know, in December, I have one more, hopefully. Oh, fingers crossed. We, we can only hope. Absolutely. So, right, uh, block three, one to ten, what are we having? Uh, number eight, please. Number eight. Okay. Uh, you've got a last-minute penalty in a cup final. It's nil-nil. Orient versus whoever. Who's, staking, who's stepping up to take that penalty? There's, I didn't even have to think about this answer. There's only ever going to be one name for Orient State's penalty, and it's uh, a super left-back 
Matt Lockwood. So Matt Lockwood was a left back, great defensively, but also took an insanely great free kick. And every time he stepped up for a penalty, you always knew where that ball was going. And that was going in the back of the net, whether he placed it to the left of the keeper, to the right of the keeper, just ice cold. Always had faith in him. He's never missing this penalty. Lockie's going to put it in the back of the net and I'm going to win the cup 1-0. And I'm going to be there going, I told you so. Amazing penalty. Fair enough. Put a fiver on it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that, that one there, there's no debate in that one. I wouldn't have had terrible luck over the years with penalty shootouts, but as a standalone penalty taker, Matt Lockwood, all day long. All Same. day long. Right. Penultimate block then. Uh, what are we going for? Uh, let's go for uh, number 10. Number 10. Um, Okay, what would your all-time UK and Ireland six-a-side team consist of? If you can do that for more, if not just from from general. Uh, UK and Ireland, it's a bit difficult because if I do it from my, do you know what? I'll do it, but I'll do it from players who almost made my eleven. If that's okay. Okay, yeah, yeah. You can have two from one country because obviously there's only five countries to fit into a -a six-a-side. So. Oh, also, you mean each player, so I have to have an Englishman, a Scotsman? Yeah, one from each country, then you can double up on another oh, country. Okay. And it can be anyone, can it? If you can't fit an Orient one in, then yeah. Oh, fine, Orient, okay. Um, in goal, I would have to put uh, Dean Brill in goal. So Dean Brill was the National League keeper um, when we went up. It was a funny story about him. He came in as a goalkeeping coach, and because we had two young keepers who weren't delivering what Justin wanted. The first thing that Justin done was drop the two young keepers and put his goalkeeping coach in goal. <laughs> uh, and Brill turned out to be amazing. So I'd put Dean Brill uh, in goal, actually. Uh, Scotsman, that's difficult here, but I would put, can they be older players? As long as they've played for Orient. Fine. It, it so doesn't Mike matter. Scotsman will be Tommy Johnson, uh, who was Orient's record goal scorer. Uh who played uh, in two spells for the club uh, between 56 and 61. He was just an amazing striker, would bang him in with his head, bang him in with his feet. Uh, so he would be my Scotsman. My Welshman would be, uh, Joe, he'd be a current player. He'd be uh, Tom James, who was a great right back and probably one of the reasons why we had such a difficult season this season because he started the season we got him I think from Hibs and he previously been at I think Portsmouth and Wigan and Salford and again a right wing back but really attacking player but also defensively very minded as well and it was no surprise that when he got injured he um the team went downhill very quickly he was pivotal to the shape and the creativity of the team so let's say uh Tom James for that so Welsh is difficult, actually. Welsh is quite a difficult one. Um, for Orient, I'd have to come back to my Welsh one. And Irish, oh, Irish, it can only be one. It has to be my favourite ever Orient player who's a striker and he played during that playoff season would be David Mooney. Um, and the thing about David Mooney, and you might have a similar player at West Brom potentially, is that give Mooney a tap in with 10 seconds to think about it and he'll spoon it over the bar. We give yeah. Mooney half a second, 30 yards outside the box with a bouncing ball. He'll put that in the top bin without even thinking about it. A player who I love um, so much, and he didn't make my 11, actually. Um, that was quite a heart-rendering process not to put him in. But he makes my five aside, so I'm happy I'm able to um, to put him in there. Accommodate him somehow. 
Yeah, and I think I think he's Welsh. I'll put in Lloyd James, who was uh, again in that playoff season. He was a great central midfielder, and he kind of knew when to go forward, and he knew when to kind of stand back. He kind of let the game go around him, and done done the ugly stuff well, and just got the ball up the field really quickly. So I put um, I put Lloyd James in there, and I think if I need one more, I probably um, put in. I try and put someone who I've not actually put in. Let's put in Dean Cox. So Dean Cox. Uh, again, was in that playoff season, left winger. He's only not made my 11 lineup because there's someone who I can't leave out playing on the left side of midfield in that team. But Dean Clox, literally, he's got the left foot of a wizard where he can literally put that ball onto anyone's head, head in. An amazing assist record for League One. Should have gone on to bigger um, and better things uh, after Orion. And for some reason or another, and the way football works out sometimes, he didn't, but he definitely should have gone on. Uh, to play at a high level um, and he's still playing now um, and just recently won won a winner's medal uh, I think at National League South or Isthmian League level okay. but Cox at that time was untouchable and could take a great free kick and was a character kind of character who you'd want want in your team so that would be my um, my Orient Six Society team So moving on to the last one now uh, so 1 to 10 what's your pick? Uh, number 1 <laughs> On God, uh, what four Orient players would you choose to have a night out or night in with? So, <laughs> past or present? Uh, do you know what? That team who won the National League, I, I was lucky enough to be at the Star Man Awards and they were always uh, great value for talking and having a laugh and a few drinks, but keeping it uh, respectable um, at the same time. So I'd love to have, I'd love to get Justin Edinburgh back. Uh, the gaffer in for a drink because I think he'd be the life and soul of the party. So I'd definitely get Justin if I can uh, be as bold to take a manager uh, in there instead of a player. So I'd take Justin. I would definitely uh, take his number two, Ross Embleton, as well. We knew Ross uh, really well and a great guy. I'd also take their captain, Josh Coulson, uh, who always brings a smile to my face. Great guy, great servant to Orient. Recently joined Kings Lynn. Um, just a great, a great player, great laugh, great personality. Uh, and with them, I'd also, uh, who would I take with Ross, Justin and Josh, who would be a laugh within that team? Probably Charlie Lee, because I think he, again, midfielder during that season, again, really big personality. I think he'd be, he'd be a great laugh as well. So I'd get the National League um, heart and soul with that team back in there and have a night out with those boys. I think it'd be a, an amazing night to have. Obviously, you've got something to celebrate from getting promoted out of that division as well. So you can you can tie even into a date. Absolutely. So, right, last that bit done. Um, so we'll move, uh, I, I say swiftly, nothing's ever swift on this show, to be fair. Um, four for you. Um, again, for anyone who hasn't heard this, uh, Steve has picked five matches. Uh, they could be all Orient, they could be non-Orient, you know, anything that's happened in football and to experience that match from a particular player's point of view. So, do you want to give us your first choice, Steve? Yeah, I mean, I've, I've gone for five different clubs because I didn't want to make... If it becomes a bit too much about Orient, I think some listeners won't know the games. I think it's important that people resonate um, with the games that I picked. So, the first one, if I said to you 30th of July, you'd go, there's no relevance in there. But if I said the 30th of July, 1966, I think it probably gets more relevant and incredibly obvious. But how could I not as an Englishman, 
want to be Jeff Hurst at the World Cup final. Scores a hat-trick, the only hat-trick to date in a World Cup final and probably scores the most, I wouldn't even say one, probably the most two iconic goals for England that have ever been scored, I would say. Yeah. Off the bar and the breakaway in the last minute. I think take away Beckham's free kick against Greece. Um, and maybe a few other goals don't even spring to mind. I can't think of two more iconic goals in the same game, winning the World Cup in your home nation and being awarded the World Cup with Sir Bobby Moore lifting it above you. Um, so I think it's only right that I salute the legend that Sir Jeff Hurst and want to be him. So you say about the, the two iconic goals, obviously the one that we all know that crossed the line. You know, you've got the Russian linesman thing going on. And then... The... <laughs> you know what I read? I read <laughs> in preparation for this, because I prepared far too much for this, Mark. There's been, there's been a conclusive study on this. And not they have proved... Well, I don't know if they've proved... Someone has proved, or says they've proved, that 97% of the ball crossed the line. I'll do for me. It could have been 7% of the ball, but we'll still claim it. <laughs> um, you got the as a Kenneth Walsono commentary on the, the breakaway yeah. goal, aren't you? Which I'm sure somebody would have made a famous sports quiz based on that bit of commentary, but yeah, it will never last. Um, yeah, you say that when I was coming up with this, I I thought that the Jeff Hurst one might be a bit too obvious. So for me, I went for another England World Cup moment. But it was Gordon Banks in 1970. Oh, good shout. Uh, yeah. Anyway, this isn't about me. It's all over, I think. No, it's. And here comes Hurst. He's got some fiddler on the pitch. They think it's all over. It is now. It's four. Go for your second choice. Fine. Okay. So I'm gonna I'm gonna do these in chronological order because I'm gonna have probably six hours how it should probably might be another obvious one but I don't know why because I dislike this team and I don't even like this player but I look <laughs> back on this game I just think how pivotal it was at the time and what an upset it was so Friday the 26th of May 1989 gonna have to go to Anfield and I'm gonna have to be Mickey Thomas and I'm gonna have to be the one who scores the goal in stoppage time to win the league and then does a weird kind of belly flop in front of the away fans it doesn't make any any sense but I remember this game and I remember at the time not liking Arsenal at all and I went to my uh, nan's house who lived in Hackney and with my two cousins who were both Arsenal fans and all the way in the car they were like Arsenal need to win by two clear goals and that, that just won't happen and they almost conceded that it wasn't going to happen and it was on ITV so you only had four channels to choose from I read again in preparation that 12 million people watched this game on a Friday night and it got moved as well because of Hillsborough. So it was supposed to be a couple of weeks before that and it got pushed back, which obviously meant there was an emotional element to it and it, yeah. meant it wasn't supposed to be the last game of the season. And I think when you gave me the description of this, you said a lot of people go for the obvious Aguero, but for me, the Aguero one's different because Man City should have always beaten QPR. That wasn't QPR were nowhere in their league. I think Man City just had problems in the first half with the pressure and just kind of made their way back. But with the Arsenal-Liverpool, Liverpool were better than Arsenal. Like, Liverpool were the Titans and Arsenal were the underdogs who had kind of matched them. And I'm pretty sure you only got two points for a win in that season as well. So it was even harder to match them and stick with it. And obviously, the guts that Thomas had to put that ball in the bottom corner of the net where he, you know, I've taken a penalty at Brisbane Road with no one there and felt the pressure and yeah. not been able to score it, let alone 
Thomas to win the league in the last second for his team. I just can't, I just can't not have that for some reason in my lineup. And like I say, I don't like Arsenal at all. I despise Arsenal actually, but <laughs> I just have to have that in there. Even worse if you're a Tottenham fan, wouldn't it say in that book? Well, I'm going to make up to Tottenham shortly. I think. Okay. Arsenal comes streaming forward now in surely what will be their last attack. A good ball by Dixon, finding Smith. For Thomas, charging through the midfield. Thomas, it's up for grabs now. Thomas, right at the end. So, right, two down. What's your third one? So... Your midway madness. Midway madness, I like it. <laughs> I, like, I see what you've done there, Mark. I see what you've done there. So, I'm going back to Wembley. Um, and I've got a, a bit of an affinity with number eights. So, my third and fourth choices are both number eight players to experience what they went through in pivotal games in their career. So this one, uh, again, Sunday, 14th of April, 91. So I've got the date. I'm going back to Wembley Stadium and I'm going to be the Geordie legend that is Gaza. And I'm going to smack the ball past David Seaman into the top corner and then go in a massive celebration and sprint the entire length of Wembley as Spurs beat Arsenal 3-1. And again, I can remember watching that game. It was like a Sunday at 12.15. I remember that clearly watching that with my mum, who was going ballistic because she was a Spurs fan. And again, Spurs at the time had no right to beat Arsenal. Arsenal should have walked there. Arsenal were whipping everyone. Spurs were like very inconsistent, even though they had Gascoigne and Lineker. And it was also the first set of semi-finals to be played at Wembley. So before that, it was even at Villa Park. And you can argue that maybe some of the magic has gone there, that same as at Wembley. But when they were first at Wembley, you had the Sheffield derby, even that game was like a phenomenal game. I think Sheffield Wednesday won 2-1. Even that game was an amazing game. And the Spurs-Arsenal game was another great game. You know, Spurs would go two up. Arsenal probably go back to half half-time and should probably gone on to equalise at points. But, but Spurs that day just played out of their skins and Gascoigne in particular. Again, another sign of the player that he really should have been had it not been for, you know, his injuries and these off-the-field problems. That day, he was outstanding. That's probably one of his crowning glories in a Tottenham shirt that day. And after that, obviously, he goes to Napoli um, and gets, well, before that, he obviously gets really badly injured in the FA Cup final a couple of weeks later, which does him in. But on that day, he was just unbe unbelievable. Even I was young enough to know at that age, at 11, going, this this doesn't really happen often, like what this yeah. guy is doing. I was going to say, on his day, back you know, the early to mid-90s, like you say, the, the Spurs, I think it was Lazio went to, wasn't it, rather than Napoli? Oh, sorry, yes, you're absolutely right. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, even when he went to Rangers, like, he was just unplayable when he was on it. He was you know, proper, you know, no mean, one could get uh, close to him. I, I, saw, I only ever saw him play one game, and that was Everton versus Leighton Orient in the FA Cup. I think it was late 90s or early 2000s, and that, by that time, he was shot like his legs had gone. Yeah. But even that day, best player on the pitch, like it wasn't even close. Like he literally, he was just um, even legs gone, not fit. And bear in mind, Orient at that point, you know, were at league, I think it was League Two even at that point. But he was just spraying the ball around, gets an amazing assist for like their first goal scored by Kevin Campbell. Um, so I was glad I got to see him play. Not in his heyday, but I was still glad I got to see him play. Even yeah, you, can, you can say, I've seen this man in the flesh. Absolutely. There you I go. Know he destroyed Orion that day. <laughs> I think I saw him play against us for Middlesbrough, possibly. Um, but again, that's going back a while. So. Is Gascoigne going to have a crack? He is, you know. Oh, I say! Brilliant! That is 
schoolboy's own stuff. Oh, I bet even he can't believe it. Right, penultimate choice. Yeah, so this one is, is a bit further down the line. Since 2008, it's a midweek game. Again, another number eight who I am, um, who means a lot to me, which is strange really, because it doesn't play for Orient. But he's born near me and I've always liked his principles and what he stands for. So I'm going to be Frank Lampard. Okay. And I'm going to be him in the Champions League semi-final when Chelsea beat Liverpool 3-2 at Stamford Bridge. So the context of this, if you remember that Frank's mum passed away six days earlier, so he missed the game on the Saturday and he was doubtful he'd even play the game. And I think the first leg had finished one all uh, at Anfield. I'm sure, Ch- I'm sure Chelsea battered him, but but it finished one all. Uh, and after the 90 minutes, this game finishes one all as well. And in the 98th minute, I can't remember who gets brought down. Someone gets taken down and the referee points to the spot. The rain's pouring and Lampard grabs the ball. So bear in mind, he they, they wasn't even supposed to play this game. His dad's in the crowd and there's a camera panned on his dad. The rain's piddling down. I think a few Liverpool players get in front of him and are trying to put him off. And the guy's just class, just puts it in the bottom corner. And when the ball hits the net, it's just, that's what football is about. The pure emotion of that ball hitting the net. He slides on the floor. He's gone. He's on the floor. All the players are on top of him. His dad's in tears. I don't think there's a dry dry eye in Stamford Bridge. And I think, you know, it would take the most ardent Liverpool fans to not go, actually, do you know what? He deserves to put the ball in that. And to have the guts to do that, in what is your biggest club game? At that point, Chelsea hadn't won the Champions League and hadn't been in the final. So that's probably his biggest point in his career from a club perspective, that moment. Yeah. To put the ball in that there with that pressure and that feeling. And he puts it in, so he looks up and then he's on the floor crying his eyes out like anyone would. Most of his teammates are crying. Like Avram Grant, I think, is on the sidelines crying. But what 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 an amazing moment to to be out there for and obviously he plays in the final of Moscow and he scores but John Terry slips over and they don't win they don't win it I was just about to say is that the one where they lost the final on penalties to, to Man United yeah but you know I, I think I've read Frank's um, autobiography and he, he was born not close to me but not that far from me uh, and again similar age I think he was like two or three years older than me so you're always looking at players like that like your rare third man's and your Coles who all came up for that West Ham generation who were fairly close to this area that, that I'm in and go, well, they've done amazing. And something that always has appealed to me about Frank Lampard is that he's always said he wasn't the best footballer. Like he had to work at it. You know, he didn't just become good through luck, but like he had to work. He had to put an extra training. He was running for his fitness. He used to run in his garden for like three or four hours a day after training when he was young. You know, he's worked for what he's got. And I think that that has always struck a chord with me that you know people go oh his dad was Redknapp's assistant manager at West Ham and that's how he got on the team no he got in the team through hard work dedication and for me he's you know an ultimate ultimate player so I had to pay tribute to Lampard to put him in to one of those five because you know I was never lucky enough to see him play uh, in an orange shirt that's not likely to happen is it <laughs> would it have thought so would it have thought so never say never no, if he decides that management isn't really for him and he fancies putting on the boots again, yeah, <laughs> who knows? Maybe, maybe. So. And that is something special—a 
Rice, on to your fifth and final choice. Then, what's your uh, your headlining match? So I would have to go to Brisbane Road to play. One of them was going to have to be played at Brisbane Road. So I almost picked Jonathan Tahue to come on and score his equaliser against Arsenal. If you remember that, that was only about I think that was eleven years ago. So we drew Arsenal at home in the FA Cup when the FA Cup was still the FA Cup. And although Arsenal put a weakened team out, it was still a good enough team to beat Orient. And I think in the 88th minute, super sub John Tahue gets put through and puts the ball in the back of the net and Brisbane Road erupts. However, that wasn't the game I've gone for. So I've gone for the playoff semi-final in that pivotal season at Brisbane Road and he didn't make it into my 11, but he did make it into my six aside. So I'm going to be Dean Cox for this one. Um, backstory to this, the first leg of the playoff semi ended one all um, at Peterborough and then we went back to our place on the Tuesday it was nil-nil at half-time. It was really nervy. Both teams were just as good as each other. In the 60th minute, we get a free kick just outside the area. Cox takes it. It smashes the wall, comes back to him, and he just drills it so hard and low. The wall jump up, and it just hits the back of the net, and he just makes the most insane mad dash through the corner flag on the floor. Everyone's going mental, uh, and he's done it. But i also going to pick him for this game because he gets subbed in the 73rd minute. So then he gets to watch it all unravel. So he's done the playing thing. He scored his goal, but he gets to watch the last 15 minutes to see how tense it is. So Orient made it 2-0 in the 88th minute. And at that point, we thought it was done. <laughs> but Peterborough scored like in like the 90th minute. And you're like, no way. And then they got a corner in like the 93rd minute with, a, with the, literally the last kick of the game. And from the corner, they really should have scored. I, I can't believe more people haven't made a bigger deal out of it corner comes in and one of the defenders is unmarked literally two yards out and he puts his head through it and it literally goes so high over the bar that like no one talks about it but it really should have been too all and they really should have um, not gone through but anyway I'll be on the touchline because I'm Dean Cox and when that full-time whistle goes I'm pelting it and there's a mad pitch invasion when pitch invasions were all friendly were all good I mean there's a really iconic photo from that pitch invasion of like a very old couple just walking around the ground at a snail's pace. There's a really iconic Orient photo. And it was just, it just, you know, there's so many playoff memories of her for Orient that felt like we'd won. That didn't just feel like you won the playoffs in the final. It felt like you won the league. And then all the players came out on the chairman's balcony. So the West End Orient is a bit odd, but the, the, where the board sits is well above like the West End. They all came out above there and everyone was just partying and it was just an amazing atmosphere. So, I'll be Dean Cox partying on the balcony as well. We won't talk about what happens in the final. We'll just take that memory for what it was. So just, just keep it as that. Keep it as that. Yeah. So yeah. Dino, I'm going to be Dino. I'm going to. Uh, I'll message him later and tell him I've decided to be in for a game. <laughs> and see, we'll just do like a not not face off like with that, but like a, a, a body swap. <laughs> there you go. Although he's very short, he's called. Uh, yeah, he's he's only uh, he's tiny Cox. So. Um, I don't know if my face... My that that statement off. there could be very much under, misunderstood. <laughs> <laughs> that could mean something completely different. Absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> Dean Cox for Leighton Orient. The ball does its job. Dean Cox again, this time he's in. At the second time of asking, Dean Cox takes Leighton Orient a step closer to Wembley. So, all right, well, that's, uh, that's your five matches done. So... On to the, the final bit then. Uh, you trip you through time. So again, for anyone who's not familiar with this bit, um, Steve was tasked with picking his best stroke favourite Orient 11. 
players from the 1960s to the 2020s. The curveball, though, can't have any more than two players from any particular decade. So how did you find it? Oh, it's so difficult. Like, I I had debate. So my front two were always going to be my front two. So the front two were always there. My left back was always my left back. And my keeper changed, but went back to my original choice. Yeah, like you said, the curveball is the two people from the same decade. Had it been free, I think it would have been much easier. But like the Fantastical, all the pleasure is in seeing how hard your guests have to work to get to where they need to get to, right? That's like, that's why you do it. Almost, almost like, well, not that you watch them when they're doing it, but like, imagine them sort of squirming. It's like, oh, crap, if I, if I pick them, I can't pick them. But I've got to have this decade and I've got these players here. And yeah, it's... Uh, well, yeah, I mean, I'm lucky. I'm lucky enough that the the Outlook podcast, I mean, Paul built a very loyal and engaged following on Twitter. So I knew by putting it out on Twitter, there'll be some names that come up that I just missed naturally because I obviously wasn't alive in the 60s or 70s and the early 80s. I wasn't into football. What I know all about it. So it, it was interesting to see what people thought. And some people will agree with me on this 11 and some people will go, how can you leave out this player or that player? But like you said, it's the two from each decade that make it hard. Like you could, any fan could do it, could pick a team from a selected decade and go over an eleven. But this yeah. is just two from that decade, which which is where, which is where the fun's at. So maybe there's a few controversial choices. I mean, there was one choice where I only decided about five minutes before <laughs> coming on where I had two, and then I started tinkering around, going, well, I could move this player to get this player in, but then, but. You know, it can easily be overfall, but yeah, a very hard but very enjoyable um, process. Actually, really enjoyable. That's good. Yeah. All right. Um, what formation did you go for? I had to, as an Orient fan, seeing this throughout all my childhood, I had to go four four two. I did think about going for a three five two with wing backs, but then I started getting complicated, and defensive cover in midfield wouldn't have existed. So I thought about it far too much in terms of I need my team to have a good shape. So it's been it's a traditional four four two with two established fullbacks who can both attack you, two wingers who are going to put the ball onto the head of your forward who's going to bang it in. So it's had I literally could have gone like one one nine, but I don't yeah. think it's fair or realistic. Uh, but yeah, four four two felt like the right the right the orient formation to do, even though they don't when you start sort of overthinking the formations, you're sort of entering into football manager territory there, aren't you? Yeah, like I did. Joe, I always had 4-4-2 and my first draft yesterday was 4-4-2. Then I'd done a second draft at 3-5-2 just to see what it would look like. And then I started getting annoyed at myself and then scrapped the 3-5-2 to stay back to the 4-4-2. <laughs> Brilliant. All right, well, uh, we'll start with the man in the sticks then. Okay, so there's a few, there was a few nominees for this. So Dean Brill was a nominee, but obviously he makes my six aside. Eldin Jakubovic, who might have made it, but he only played for us about three months. I thought that would be a disservice to other keepers because he's not been there long. And Lawrence Vigarou, who's our current keeper, joined in 2019. So he just about qualified for it, but I couldn't pick him. So I've decided to go with Paul Hild, who played for the O's between 88 and 95. So he ticked off the 80s box and the 90s box, but I'm putting him in as, as a 90s player. So he was just a great keeper. He's the keeper who I'm most familiar with in between the sticks of my childhood from Orient. He won promotion with us when we got promoted uh, in what would you believe was the last two-legged playoff semi-final, the last one that was played late in Orient against Wrexham. When we beat Wrexham, 
Uh, I was gutted when he left, but it was evident at that time that he was going to go on to bigger and better things. So he actually ended up at Wimbledon. Uh, and you've probably seen one of the most famous Premier League goals that's been scored against him. So Yeboah, uh, away to Wimbledon, where he chests it down and it bounces oh, yeah. and smacks it. The keeper for that is Paul Hild. Okay. It could have been anyone because no one would have got near it, to be honest. No. Um, but Paul Hild, great keeper, uh, went on to have a decent coaching career at MK Dons recently and left there about two years ago. But there was a few uh, nominees. Paul Hill just got the nod for me. Great keeper. So, right. Who's in front of him then? What's your, your back four looking like? So I'm a back four. So I mentioned uh, when you said the penalty taker, Matt Lockwood. So yep. the left back could have been, there were three big players that could have been the left back. Terry Howard from the 80s. So Terry Howard's great penalty taker, great free kick taker, great defender. If you've ever watched the Orient documentary uh, with John Sitton, the famous one where he basically offers to fight the whole team for not listening to what he's saying <laughs> in 94, Terry Howard actually gets sacked at halftime during that speech. So Terry Howard's quite famous for that. <laughs> I saw the, yeah, go after this, I'll send you a, a link to YouTube. There's a famous clip where Terry Howard gets sacked at, uh, at halftime, uh, maybe deservedly for not listening to what his manager's saying, but probably not undeservedly. So Howard could have gone in. Charlie Daniels, who went on to have a very good career in the Premier League with um, Bournemouth, was a great I was say, was he Bournemouth, yeah. Yeah, he started at Orient. He almost made it, but it had to be Matt Lockwood. 328 appearances, uh, allegedly, uh, going off Wikipedia. 50 goals. <laughs> like I said, free kick extraordinaire. Always penalty. Defensively great, but deadly from free kicks. Um, again, I don't know how much you know about Orient, but... Lockie is famous for two things, really. Scored an amazing goal in a playoff semi-final at home to Hull City, uh, where we made it to Wembley, but gone up, but didn't win in the final. He scored an absolute scorcher. He also famously scored a hat-trick. Uh, remember, he's a left-back. scores a hat-trick at home to Gillingham. We were 3-0 we were down with 77 minutes gone, and he only scored he scores a hat-trick, and the game finished 3 all. Uh, And he was also the first proper Orient Outlook podcast interview me and Paul ever done and we were both absolutely petrified um, so Lockie means a lot to me so he's my, he's my left back <laughs> um, what was the decade from again sorry uh, the zero zeros the noughties okay okay so that's your that's left back so yeah, he played over the 90s and the noughties but I'm so you're going for the noughties side yeah so he'll be joined uh, by a central defensive pairing. So I might get Kane for this, but I don't think I will because I think this guy deserves to be in an Orient fantasy team. Technically, not the greatest. Technically, there are better choices. So Matty Baldry, Gamzakuani, better choices, better footballers. But this man would take a bullet for you on the pitch. He would literally jump in front of a speeding train. And someone said, you should pick Mackey. Someone said, you can't. He wasn't even the best defender of the decade, let alone the six decades that you can pick. <laughs> I'm picking John Mackey from the noughties as well. Captain led us to promotion uh, in our promotion winning season under Martin Ling in the game where we had to win to go up and Oxford had to win to not get relegated to the National League. We won that game 3-2. Mackey got a man sent off. He's also had a few memorable goals, a few memorable cup upsets. Just a total legend. He's loved at Orient still and there's a reason for that. Only was with us for three seasons. I thought it was actually much longer. But when you look back in hindsight, it actually wasn't. So John Mackey makes up my first centre-back. And he'll be joined um, by someone who's now a Premier League manager. But before he was a Premier League manager, he was Smudge. And he was an Orient centre-back. 
and he's from the black country. So Dean Smith is going to partner John Mackey. Yeah, uh, and again... Uh, not a what, Premier League manager now, though, is he? Because Norris got relegated. No, he's not. Good shout. No, he's not. But you always... Do you know what? I had always had a feeling once he started with Walsall and got his feet under the table at Brentford that he was only going to go one way. And it was great to see him have the success that he had and take Villa up because of his connection with the club. Can't say I agree with that, but that, yeah. <laughs> Sorry. No. No, so moving on. <laughs> yeah, again, he almost cap- captained us to a promotion, but we lost uh, in the playoff final in the same year that uh, Lockie scored his amazing goal there. Again, heart on the sleeve, we'll fight for you. Uh, great defender. Just, yeah, a defender of his ilk. I'd, I'd always rather have those players and we'll jump in front of the balls rather than the ones who can technically play it along the ground because they're the ones yeah. who are going to put themselves on the line for you. So Dean Smith and Matthew sent to that. And then... This was an interesting one, actually, because I took some advice that people were saying, and I looked in some of the older players who kind of passed me by from the 60s. Um, so I, got, I narrowed it down to two players. I narrowed it down to Stan Charlton from the 60s or Sid Bishop from the 60s. And I actually learned that both of them were really excellent footballers. But I went for Stan Charlton uh, in the end. He had two spells at Orient. Uh, actually, in between these spells at Orient, went and played for Arsenal, uh, and played in the when I say went to Arsenal and played, he was first team at Arsenal, played for Arsenal, came back to Orient and then skipped the club to um, our only season in the first division uh, back in 1962. And he's a right back, so it gives me the perfect four. And I've got my shape, which was very important to me because I didn't <laughs> want to put four centre backs. So I've got a, two great full backs and two amazing centre backs. So my shape is that four is a, a great four, I'm very happy with. Um, what decade was Dean Smith? Sorry, I missed that bit. So uh, Dean Smith was from the north, from the nineties. Nineties, okay. And Stan Charlton is from the sixties. Yeah, sixties. Yeah, I'll, I'll call that. One. It's not that I switched off when you said Dean Smith, but when you started talking about the villa. Yeah, fair enough. I, 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 I just realised. It's like one of those fingers in your ears going <laughs> la 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 moments. <laughs> um, so that's your your first four sorted. Who's your your next four? Your, your midfield. Right, quad. midfield. So. Um, great historic player of all time is my first choice. I'm going to put him on the left. I didn't know where, where to put him. I think in today's game, he wouldn't end up on the left of midfield. I think he'd end up as a 10 behind the front two or behind an attacker. But I wanted to be true to where he was at the time. So I put Laurie Cunningham in as my left winger. So Laurie Cunningham, greatest Orient player of all time. Like there was a vote. It, it's just not my opinion. It's fact factually correct according to the fan base only with Orient for three seasons where he started only played for Orient 75 times but there's still people who go to the ground who talk to you about watching Laurie Cunningham play like every couple of months I'll bump into someone who goes this is a podcast and you get talking about their backstory with Orient which is always interesting and they always always mention Laurie Cunningham like without fail if they watched him play and the fact he went on to West Brom which is your club yep. and then to Real Madrid that that just that's inconce even now that's inconceivable to me that that would happen. Like I just can't I can't fathom that that an Orient player could be at Brisbane Road in seventy seven and then a few years later was at the Bernabeu playing for Real Madrid. Just the context. Crazy, and the, the fact that he was part of probably uh, you know this might be controversial. It might not, but from my opinion, he was part of our probably our greatest team. Yeah. In that late 70s under Ron Atkinson, you had him, Regis, uh, Batson, 
uh, Wyle, but you know the list goes on. But you know, Cunningham, absolutely amazing. But also, what he had to go through to even get to that level, to even get into Orient, you know, with what was going on at the time. So he was also the first black player to represent England. There's a statue of him outside the ground. I was lucky enough to meet his niece uh, when the statue got unveiled for the podcast. Um, but yeah, you look back now and you just think how, it must be so difficult for him against some of the stuff he was up against and to do what he'd done and just absolutely just rise up the, the footballing world as quick as he did um, and not look out of place. It's just incredible. So Laurie, there were three names who were always on this team sheet. Laurie was always first. And, you know, I some fans and a younger generation might put Dean Coxon on that left hand side of midfield. And I can't blame them if they do. But for me, that there was only ever one man taking that spot. So that was Laurie Cunningham, like a no-brainer. So Laurie's on my left. On my right-hand side, I'm going to have Alan Comfort from the 80s. And again, this was very close. I almost picked Danny Carter from the 80s as well. Um, but Alan just sneaked it. Again, a player who should have gone on to bigger and better things. He played, again, only for three seasons at Orient. So he was with us from 86 to 89. Made 150 appearances, 46 goals. Again, it's very creative, great player. Went on to join Middlesbrough after he left Orient and then suffered an injury that he was never able to get himself back from. Um, and it's quite famous for playing in that final at home to Wrexham and then getting a chopper out of the ground to go and get married uh, right after winning the game and then became the club's reverend uh, <laughs> a couple of years ago. But I vaguely remember watching him in the 80s, like when I was going. Um, and again, he was like the star player, the one who would get you that one chance and a great player who, again, the first tweet I had on this, someone went, Mackie, Cunningham, Comfort. And I was like, yeah, like that, that's that's your basic kind of spine almost to your team. So Comfort had to be in, which left me then with my two central midfield choices. These were probably the hardest two, actually, because there were lots who kind of leapt out, but for other reasons I couldn't fit in because of the decade yeah. restrictions or requirements. So I had a space for an 80s player in the central central midfield. And I got it down to two. Well, well, looking at it now, three, I would say. So Ian Bogey misses out. And I remember Bogey being, again, we got him, he was at Newcastle, probably around the same time as Gaza, and ended up dropping down the leagues, but was far too good for Orient from what I saw of him. Um, the one who came really close, and I might get a bit of flack for leaving out here, and he almost made it to Steve Castle, He's an Orient legend, box-to-box midfielder. He just misses out. So I put in John Chidozzi from the 80s. So you might know the name because he went on to play for Tottenham Hotspur in the 80s. But before he was at Tottenham, uh, we had him from 77 to 81. So I can just sneak him in there as an 80s player. Uh, He made 145 appearances, went on to play for Nigeria uh, nine times as well. So John Chidozzi just beats Steve Castle um, to my one of my central midfield spots. And then my other central midfield spot was going to be a choice from the 10s. Is that what we're calling it? The yeah, we'll go, we'll go with that. With the 10s. And I got it down to two. I got it down to Roman Vincelo, who for me in that playoff season where we just lost at Wembley, was here, there, everywhere, fighting for you on the pitch, leading by example. But I've overlooked him to put in a very similar player and people still talk about getting a replacement for this player although he left 10 years ago so I'm picking Stephen Dawson 
who only played for us for three seasons, maybe even two, I can't quite remember. He made 60 appearances, so maybe it was, it was only two seasons. Um, but he was what everything that central midfielder needs to be if you're going to have someone who's going to play like that for you. He was aggressive, he was competitive. You'd have bigger teams come to you and he just literally controlled the game easily. He should have gone on to bigger and better things. What he actually did, he went to Barnsley, uh, but it didn't quite work out from at Barnsley. But I think with Dawson and Chidozi in the middle, you've got a really good uh, attacking and defensive option in there. And alongside them, Comfort and Cunningham on the wings, you've just got an ultra, ultra solid and creative midfield. So those are my four midfielders. Okay. So I'm not going to lie, a lot of the names here, I, I, well, I'm going to say all bar two. <laughs> I've not been familiar with so far, but and that's not been like oh, no, I'm, what, I'm, I'm just to. no. But all right, so who's your, uh, your strikers? Strikers was always first two names on the um, on the team sheet, and because of this, I couldn't get in David Mooney, um, who's probably my favourite player over the last couple of years. So Mooney couldn't make it in. So Tommy Johnson, uh, who I mentioned in my six aside, so he's from the sixties. In his first spell, Orient, he scored 70 times in 87 appearances. Uh, and in his second spell, he got 51 and 93. Record goal scorer. And he would just feed off the service from Cunningham and Comfort. It would be like just watching the goals rack up to have the service from them too. Still spoken about in such high regard. In this day and age, God knows how much money he would have been worth. An absolute amazing striker. And alongside him, uh, I'm going to put in Peter Kitchen from the 70s, who you may or may not know. Again, he had two spells at Orient. He had his first in the late 70s, scoring 28 times in 65 games. Um, and then he came back in the early 80s, getting 21 uh, goals and 49 games. He's quite famous in the Orient world because he basically scored, I think it was every round of the FA Cup when we got through to the FA Cup semi-final. So we got to the FA Cup final uh, in 78. I believe, yeah, 78, uh, I got knocked out against Arsenal in the semi-final. Um, but in the build-up to that, we knocked out Chelsea, believe it or not, and Kitchen scored uh, the winner. We went and knocked out Middlesbrough, and I'm pretty sure Kitchen scored, the, if not the winner, the equaliser, from what I remember. Um, but, yeah, you can't talk about famous on strikers and not put Peter Kitchen in. Still a face at the Orient, still very popular. So Kitchen and Johnson, I, I would... Love to see them too at Orient in this day and age with the service from Cunningham and Comfort, with Jadozi and Dawson driving the team forward and being marshalled by Dean Smith uh, and John Mackey would be absolutely ridiculous. And God knows who would take your penalties. <laughs> uh, I was going to say, from what you said before, it's probably Lockwood, isn't it? I, 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 yeah, but I'd, good luck getting the ball out of Johnson's hand <laughs> because I wouldn't be able to do it. <laughs> well, last couple of things on this one then. Um, Who's the manager for this eleven? Gotta be Justin. I can't, I can't express enough how forever in debt to Justin Edinburgh, Leighton Orient should be, but also on a personal level, I am. So I was quite lucky that when he was manager, we had media passes at the football club. So sometimes, not all the time, sometimes we would go and speak to him after games. And we'd also, we'd always see like the stern, just the focus, Justin. Um, but from what you hear about him, he was so much more than that outside of the football club. But when he 
he came into the club and we were like literally like 18th or 19th in the National League. We were sliding. We would have gone down that season. There's no doubt about it. He came, like I said before, stabilised the club. And in the space of 18 months, won us the National League. And I've been quite lucky um, in my life where uh, my experience with people passing away, I've not really had to deal with in great um spades if that makes any yeah. sense like no one i'm lucky that no one who i'm that close has passed away when justin edinburgh died that is i can say this hand on my heart that that hit me like nothing has hit me before and i and i don't i'm quite lucky that i can go to a football game and when i leave the stadium like i'm done with it like it won't affect me so if we lose i don't get home and i'm like angry or set like i can get over it and if we get home and win i'm fine at home i'm not extra jubilant but when he passed like i i was away the weekend he passed i was at my sister's in oxford and i felt uh, a compulsive need to go and be orient yes he passed away on a saturday evening uh and i went to the ground on the sunday and i got to the ground on the sunday and I'm, i won't lie i got there and i just cr- cried like a baby like i've never like had an outpouring like it and bear in mind like I'd only met the guy a handful of times, but from what he had done and from the connection that he established personally and to the football club, like it has to be Justin Edinburgh. And the fact that we all, like I mentioned, we all still sing his name um, and from his passing, you know, his son Charlie's an amazing work with the J3 Foundation trying to, you know, get the word about, um, out about how important it is that, you know, if, oh, what's the word I'm looking for? State not stabilizes the um the things that you put on someone's chest when they defibrillators. Yes, what yeah, they're yeah. trying to do with defibrillators is amazing. So, so, so out of that tragedy that his family are working so hard to get you know laws put into place so that if anything happens like that at a fitness center, which is where Justin initially had like his cardiac arrest, um, that there are laws put in place that the gym has to have one, then that can only um be a good thing but for me you know he was only at the club for 18 months which is nothing in the great scheme of things and there's managers who have put a lot more time in and probably achieved just as much so Jimmy Bloomfield you know is a legendary Orient manager but in my generation and my experience I can't look past Justin so Justin is going to manage those boys that's fair enough um and the last bit of this is who's he giving the armband to <sighs> <laughs> Do you know what? It has it has to be John Mackey. Like it can't John Mackey. Joe, you know if I gave it to anyone else, John Mackey would just rip it off him and, and challenge him out for a fight. So Mackey's gonna be my captain. Vice captain will be Dean Smith. So you, you got your centre off as the uh yeah as the medical you know control on the pitch. I feel like your centre back should be your captain, but I don't know why. Oh, oh that or your defensive midfielder, because they're the yeah. ones that are sort of doing the yeah, the, the grunt four. work, aren't they? Yeah, I always feel I always feel like a keeper isn't involved in it enough and a forward is too far forward because that's going on behind it. Yeah. So yeah, I think like the four in midfield or or the six centre back is the one. So yeah, Mackie. And if you're not doing what you should be doing out there, Mackie will tell you about it. And feeling that you're gonna slap. Absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So uh, yeah, well that unfortunately has drawn proceedings to a close. So all that's left for me to say is Steve, thank you very much for joining us and uh if people want to find the Fantastival, do you want to just give us a yeah, absolutely, you know, just a way they can do so? Yeah, so it, uh, new episodes come out every Sunday morning uh, at 
9am. So if you're uh, interested in listening uh, to it, please do so. You can find it on Spotify, uh, iTunes, Anchor, anywhere you get podcasts from, you can listen to it. There's a whole range of episodes uh, with new acts, established acts, friends, just generally like-minded people. Uh, we're on social media as well. We're on Twitter. So if you're on Twitter, give us a follow uh, at FanTastivalP because um, the more followers, uh, the better. And uh, yeah, great podcast to be part of. And thanks, Mark, um, for having me. This is uh, really made me think about the way I look at uh, football, which is uh, I didn't expect to happen when I agreed to do this. So thank you for uh, having me on your podcast. So I'm glad it's given you uh, something to think about. And again, like I said before, thank you for accepting the invitation. Uh, pleasure, mate. Absolutely. Right. right, Steve, I'll catch up with you soon, mate. Take care. Goodbye. All right. It's been through a bit of a revamp. Um, it's now called Top Six rather than Three for a Win. Um, just gives us a chance to feature a few more tracks um, than before. So here's the six tracks we've got for the uh, for the newly named new segment, I suppose you could say. So we're going to kick off with Joe Peacock and Forgiveness Powder. Uh, Joe Peacock is a singer-songwriter from Birmingham who's making a name for himself as a genre-hopping storyteller with a prolific output. Uh, Joe writes songs that explore different themes from most. He's written about explorers, hermits, pioneers, and even animals, but doesn't shy away from expressing strong opinions on political and social justices either. Forgiveness Powder is the third single from his forthcoming album, Mirror Neuron Generator, and the album marks a change in direction to more synth-based electronic music, with influences ranging from trip-hop to trans-techno, jazz, and disco. So, from Joe Peacock, here is a little clip of Forgiveness Powder, which is out now. claimed that he could find a way For them to solve all their problems A magic powder from a wise woman You can find Joe Peacock on Twitter at Joe underscore Peacock and on Facebook at facebook.com slash Joe Peacock Music. Okay, next up is uh, Finding Bella with Set It Off. Uh, it's their second single and it's due to be released on the 1st of July across all streaming platforms, um, which will be just before they do a headline show at the Sunflower Lounge in Birmingham, supported by La Viva's and none other than previous guests on the Project Football podcast, Columbia. So if there's any tickets left, I urge you, get one. So, yeah, that, that's all I can say about that, really. Um, yeah, they're local boys to where I'm from, and yeah, the Levivas as well are not far um, from my hometown of Stourbridge in Kidderminster, Columbia, a little bit further afield from uh, Liverpool, but their music still is great. But yeah, here's a little bit of Set It Off, by finding Bella.
Finding Bella are on Twitter at Finding underscore Bella, Instagram at Finding Bella Official, and also Facebook, uh, Facebook.com Finding Bella Official. Next up, a song that ties in nicely with the show because it, it's a football-based song, and it's by 3D Shark. It's called Song for the Euros, and it's for the Northern Ireland women's team who are taking part in this year's Women's European Championships. Uh, they did a song for the men's team in 2016, so they felt it was only right that they did one uh, for the females. So here's uh, a little bit of that. Your predictions with Northern Island girls, there's no restrictions. Down and see you on the attack. Green and white army, the place is packed. We take corners, we hit blasters, we take spark kicks with no disasters. You can find 3D Shark on Twitter at 3D Shark Music. Song number four is by a band called Fat Dads, and it's called Trust and Promises. Um, a little bit of a description of them from their Spotify. It's harking back to the early noughties garage and indie scene. Fat Dads write catchy indie tunes with a DIY sensibility. So here's a little bit of Trust and Promises by Fat Dads. find fat dads at fat dads band and that's the same for their twitter and instagram uh penultimate track is the blocker with now i'm going to apologize if i've pronounced this wrong but silvervesh i think uh, it's s-i-l-v-o-u-v-e-s-c-e so it could be silvesk I, I honestly don't know it's not a word i'm familiar with but there you go um, the Blocker is a singer-songwriter from Dublin, Ireland. His main influences are Pink Floyd, Oasis and U2. Uh, a powerful, charismatic, exciting and confident artist, The Blocker's raw, honest and sometimes heart-wrenching guitar-driven songs chronicle and capture the universal truths of excess, love, happiness, sadness, joy and melancholy. His musical prowess is a refreshing, firmly rooted, energetic nod to the music of the 70s rock and the 90s Britpop eras. So. Here's the blocker with Silver Vest. I'm going to stick with that pronunciation. It's as good as it's going to get, I think. find the blocker on uh twitter and instagram at the blocker gram uh, last but not least we have guy snowden and the citizens with uh, their song desert uh, desert is the centerpiece of the album 
and is the second in a trilogy on their album. Uh, Guy wanted to write something special, a showstopper. His original demo took inspiration from man's search and finding a path to one's vision of meaning and belonging in life. Many refer to it as the one with the scream. So here's a bit of Desert by Guy Snowden and the Citizens. You can get hold of them on Twitter at Guy Snowden, Instagram at Guy and the Citizens, and Facebook at facebook.com slash Guy and the Citizens. So that's all the tracks for uh, the, the top six. There'll be links to Spotify where you can get hold of them and all the links for their social media that was previously mentioned uh, in the episode description as well. All the songs that are featured in uh, in the top six segments uh, are out now, um, apart from the one by Finding Bella, which is out approximately a week from this podcast coming out. The poem for this episode, obviously relating to uh, Latin Orient, uh, is called Edinburgh in Leighton. Here it goes. I wrote it myself and I hope you like it. A senior career that started in 1988 at Southend United, 37 appearances made, playing spells at Spurs, Portsmouth, then Billy Ricky Town. In 2006, the lights came down, only on his time solely as a player, player manager now, the next point in the career. Onto Fisher Athletic, got them promoted, then left for Grays, a stint that was short lived. 09 to 11, managing Rushton and Diamonds. Administration was the root cause to the end of his time there. Over to South Wales and Newport County, making the trophy final in 2012, but York City stole the bounty. 2013 and an all-Welsh affair in the conference playoff final. Wrexham met them there. 2-0 to County and into the Football League. Go further than League Two? Why not believe? 2015 and the Gills came calling. After League One, he went to stop Gillingham stalling. 2017, called time on Priestfield, taking over at Northampton, the cobblers of six fields. This didn't last long, sacked seven months in. Not long after that, Leighton Orient approached Justin. In his first full season, promotion to League Two, winning the conference outright, let's see where they go. But 2019 was oh so bittersweet. Promotion in April, in June, Orient knocked off their feet. News came through of a cardiac arrest. A handful of days later, the O's leader laid to rest. 82 games in charge of the Brisbane Road team, winning 45, only losing 16. The late Justin Edinburgh, now with a stand in his name, promoted late Orient. Nothing else feels the same. So here's to you, Justin Edinburgh. Orient love you more than you will know. I'll just say that it's been an honour to lead this group of players, staff, and the board of directors and everyone connected with the football club. Okay, because for me, when I come in here, this club is going one way, and that was into the conference south. Okay, so credit to you, because there's not been a lot of change. Remember, 
enjoy tonight and tomorrow <laughs> and Monday <laughs> and Tuesday. <laughs> <laughs> when we get at that airport. <laughs> Massive thanks to Steve for joining me on the show. Um, really enjoyed the chat with him. Uh, it's very much appreciated from taking the time to, to come and have a chat with us. You can find the Fantastical podcast on Twitter at Fantastical P. Uh, there'll also be a link for uh, Spotify where you can listen to episodes going back to the first one up to, I think it's number 94. is up to with the, with the massively talented Jay Tennant. So, if you're into music, it's definitely worth a listen. Also, if you want to hear a bit more about Lake Orient, uh, you can find the Orient Outlook podcast um, on all the usual podcast platforms and also on Twitter at Orient Outlook Podcast. And also, I'd like to thank uh, Luke Williamson Art and um, Football for Brains 21 for their continued support of the show. You can find Luke Williamson Art at LT Williamson Art on Twitter. Uh, website is lukewilliamsonart.com and if you want to get 10% off any artwork at the checkout if you enter the code PROJFOOT10 that's P-R-O-J-F-O-O-T-1-0 that'll get you 10% off any artwork at the checkout uh, the Football for Brains 21 quiz book are on Twitter at brains underscore 21 and there'll also be an eBay link where you can get hold of the actual book itself which I can highly recommend uh, if you want to get in touch with the show we're on Twitter at proj underscore foot, Instagram at Project Football Podcast, and also on Facebook. Uh, if you just search for Project Football Podcast on there, you'll get hold of us. Uh, again, thank you very much for listening. Unfortunately, we've now reached full time. So all that's left for me to say is goodbye and take care. <laughs> <laughs>